Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Well, Psalm 36 is a psalm of David. It was a psalm that he wrote for the choir director. In this psalm, what David wrote, he's going to talk about how the wicked men, he's going to contrast them to the ones that walk uprightly. And how the wicked have a whole different spin on their day. What are they thinking when they get up? What's going through their mind? What are they doing? David knew that these fellows plotted against him. How did David get his calling to be the king? It wasn't because he was born into some heritage. In fact, in Jewish history, they actually didn't have kings for very long prior to this because there was a first king. His name was Saul. And Saul was a man that was, it said he was very handsome. In fact, Saul means desirable in Hebrew. Now, he hands over the kingdom to the next fella, David, this guy. And this guy gets the kingdom because as a young man, he stood up for Israel and he fought an enemy of Israel, the, the Philistine lord, Goliath. Remember when he took the sling and he went against him and said, you come at me. Like I'm a dog, you have your, your stick. He was a shepherd boy. You have your shepherd's staff and you have a, a sling. And he said, no, I come at you with the, in the name of the Lord God. And this day your head's going to be mine. And he threw that rock and it went straight into his head and he killed him. And eventually God would take the throne and by sending the prophet to David, he would anoint David and say, you're going to be the next king. Well, as soon as that happened, as soon as David was anointed to be the next king by God, what did Saul, who was still ruling the kingdom, do? Did he say, oh, come on over. I'll just get you my crown and I'll set you all up and let me show you around. No. He went on a personal mission to kill David. He had his troops hunting David. David was on the run. So David knew the pain of having guys that were opposed to him. And I know that because I read this psalm. Let, let me read you this. It's only 12 verses, this psalm. Psalm 36, it says... Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There's no fear of God before his eyes, for it flatters him in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his iniquity and the hatred of it. And the words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He plans wickedness upon his bed. He sets himself, it says, on a path that is not good. He does not despise evil. So this man who is a man of wickedness, David describes as he is a man that has transgression speaking within his heart. And transgression is that fallen sinful nature. David says, you know, he's got that sinful nature speaking to him, inside of him. You know, our fallen nature is kind of, the Bible says in the New Testament, calls it our flesh. It says our flesh is against our spirit, isn't it? says, Paul said, with, on the one hand, with my mind, I want to do what's right before the Lord. And on the other hand, my body, with its fleshly appetites, is in opposition. So the very thing I want to do, I don't do. The very thing I don't want to do, I do do. That's Romans chapter 7. I call it the do-do chapter. He said, I don't do this, but I do this, and I do do this. Don't know why I don't want to do. And he, he says, oh, wretched man that I am, he says. Who will set me free from this body of sin and death? And what was his answer to that rhetorical question? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Christ came to set us free from that bondage of being ruled by our flesh. This fallen flesh can fight against God. Sometimes God will be saying, go help that person. You're like, I ain't helping them. I don't like them. And the Lord's going, go help them. What's Jesus say? If you want to be great in my kingdom, you have to learn to be the servant of, of all. But my flesh says, let me just serve the ones I like. I don't want to serve the ones I don't like. They're jerks. Why should I serve them? Just bring me the nice people. I'll serve the nice people. Jesus, you get some other guys to serve the jerks and all the mean people, right? That is that what he says to do? I wish. No, he says, you want to be great? Learn to be the servant of all. Even Jesus did that. Remember at the Last Supper when he got up from the table and he took off his robe and he put a, a towel around him? What did he do? He got a basin of water and a towel. And what did he begin to do? Begin to wash the disciples' feet and... And they're like, wait a minute, you're the master. That's a slave's job. He said, that's right. If I'm the master, you call me master, and I'm doing this job, I'm taking the servant's role and serving you. As he did this, he, he went around and washed all their feet. He showed us that, you know, even the rascals, you still have to be a servant. And he did it. Jesus did it. And he washes their feet, and he says, now, I'm the master. If I do this and you're the servants, what should you guys do? But Jesus Jesus does stuff that, I mean, my mind has to go, wait a minute, I would watch all the guys I knew were going to stick with me. But David knew betrayal. He knew betrayal in deep ways. Even his wife will betray him at one point when he goes and starts dancing before the Lord with all his might. And Michelle will say, Oh, David, why did you, David took off his kingly robes and he just put just in his, just in his, we call his underwear. He's dancing in the, in, in, in the, and if you read a King James Bible, it says he danced naked before the Lord. He said, I'm nothing. I'm just a man, humble. I came into this world with nothing. I'll go out with nothing. God is the one to be magnified. And his wife was, you, you're the king. You should be wearing your nice clothes. You should, you know, this is a disgrace. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. He didn't care about making a big to-do, everyone look at me, I'm so great. He was more concerned with how God saw him. And so David set, a, set an example in that, and he worshiped the Lord. He didn't care. He's like, guys, God is worthy to be praised, and I'll worship him. But David also recognized that within the men that were fallen, these guys, that their nature, and, and I have a feeling he knew it because, well, I can tell you, I read this and I think, hmm, yeah. Let me show you something. He says, these guys, they have transgression speaking in their heart. And their, their transgression, their, their fallen nature is flattering them. Say, oh, you're so good. You, you're so good. You, you shouldn't have to go serve anybody. You should serve yourself. You should look out for number one. You know, you deserve a break today. Don't, don't go help those other people. And it says, concerning the discovery of their iniquity. And the hatred of it. Well, our own sinful flesh will say, I don't want to discover my sin. I don't want to hate my own sin because then I'd have to change. If you saw your sin for what it is, if we really saw how ugly our sin is, we'd go, oh, I got to get away from that. That's terrible. You know what the, the irony is? I see God deliver a lot of people from certain areas of sin in their lives. And, and I find it really kind of interesting how he points it out to them. Oftentimes, someone will call me up and say, Pastor, Pastor, did you know so-and-so 
is doing this hyenas thing. I'm like, really? What are they doing? Well, I can't tell you. I mean, this is really bad. They're up late at night with their computer and they're doing things. And, oh, it's terrible. And, and they start to tell me, and say, and say, how do you know this stuff? Well, I was on my computer and I uh, saw something from, you know, something they posted. And I clicked on it and it went right to this bad X-rated website. And I'm pretty sure they're into bad stuff. Did you know this? You saw this? Yeah, I saw that website. It's terrible. What are you doing looking at the web? You're calling me to tell me that guy needs to stop looking at this stuff, but you're doing that stuff? And without even realizing it, they begin to see their own sin. It's easy to spot sin that we know. We see someone and they think, man, that guy's a jerk. He doesn't have any patience. What's his problem? He needs to get some patience, man. He needs to get in a hurry. I mean, I get, someone pound some patience into that guy. Let's get him. And you're thinking, uh, listen to the guy talking. He sounds like he needs some pain. And God sometimes will do this to you. Have you ever noticed this? He'll point out your sin. You'll see it in someone else. Think, boy, that person's really harsh. Or that person is, they're not very kind when they speak. And God will, right as the words leave your, your mouth, maybe they just run through your mind. The very, just in your mind, you're thinking, boy, that person's a real jerk. In this area, they're really, they, they do that. That's terrible what they do. And right in that moment, has anyone ever had this happen where God just gives you that little tap on the shoulder like, um, what about you? The very thing that you're thinking they're doing so bad. He says, uh, uh, how, about you? how about you? And his Holy Spirit will tap you on the shoulder and say, you um, doing the same thing. Maybe you're not doing it as much, right? We always like to make ourselves look better. But listen to the wicked. What it says, his transgression, his fallen nature speaks to him. It says, concerning the discovery of his sin and the hatred of it, it doesn't point out, his flesh does not say, hey, you're blowing it. Instead, it, it flatters him. So you're a great guy. You just keep being the great guy you are. And everyone else is thinking, he's a jerk. Or he's, he's a pervert. He's looking at porn all the time. And they're going, I'm, I don't have any sin. I'm, by the way, sin blinds people in a horrible way. It, it makes them spiritually blind. They'll sit there and go, I, I have no sin. I have no problem. And you look at them and, you know, the Bible says sin is like a bond, like a fetter, a, 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 you know, like um, those those clamps where they clamp the ball and the chain around your around your ankle, you know, and they fasten it on. And But when men get into sin, they have sin in their heart. It's like they put on these ball and chains and they're, and they're wondering, why is it so hard to walk through this life? I just feel so tired. I'm always fighting because you won't, you won't let Jesus set you free. He whom the Son makes free is free indeed. Because when Jesus comes and he forgives you of your sin, you know what he does? He, he unhooks all those little clasps and all those little locks and those handcuffs and he sets you free. But see, a person that is in sin, their heart is speaking to them and saying, you're all right, buddy. You're better than everyone else. In fact, you're not as bad as those other guys. This is one of the one of the lines that our flesh likes to use. You're not as bad as that other person. Just don't worry about it. We're much better than them. Now, if we have just a little bit of that area of sin that they have a lot, are we still a sinner? How many sins does it take to uh, fall short of the glory of God? Just one. 
So don't think you're better than them just because you sin in different ways or a different measure. But I, I say measure or the amount of sin you may do because I, I kind of chuckle when I read the next part. It says here, let me show you. It says in verse 4, it says that the wicked, well, the verse 3 says, the words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He ceased doing good. And he plans instead upon his bed. He sets himself on a path that is not good. He does not despise evil. This is what a wicked man does. He, it says, plans wickedness upon his bed. Now, I've shared this a couple weeks ago. I was sharing about how in First John, John wrote and said, I write so that you guys may not sin. You know, when you come to Christ, you're going to have a new power to actually overcome sin. You have a choice now because you have the Lord. Not that you could do this without Jesus, but with the Lord. Can you turn from temptation with Jesus? Can you say no to a sin? Sin comes and tempts you and you just go, no, not going there. Because with the Lord, he can give us the strength to do that. That's John wrote, I write so you may not sin. He wants you to know it's, it's now an option. And David said, that's what men do. Now, how would David know that? You think he interviewed a bunch of guys and said, hey, tell me the truth. What do you think about when you wake up in the morning? And if we're honest, we all know that we've, we all have a sinful flesh that we have to deal with. But see, now David's going to give. There's still, guys, we're only to verse 4, but don't worry. We, got, we get to verse 12 here in this psalm. And David now says, but your loving kindness, this is God, your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies, the clouds, the King James says. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God, and your judgments are like the great deep. God, you are so awesome. Oh, Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O oh God. And the children of men that take refuge in the shadow of your wings. This poetry that he uses, how, how the children of men are to take refuge in the shadow of his... Remember how Jesus, when he came over the hill of, of the Mount of Olives and he looked out at the Temple Mount at Jerusalem and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you to me like, like a hen gathers its chicks under its wing. I wanted to bring you close to me, says the Lord. He was speaking to the Jews back then. He said, but you'd have no part with me. You didn't want me to, to bring you into that place. But David, David says right here, God is a righteous God. He's a, he's a God full of mercy. Loving kindness is mercy. And his mercy, how much mercy does God have? How new is his mercy? We sing a song. New every morning is his mercy. And great is his faithfulness. I love this. He says, your mercy, your loving kindness extends to the heavens. Now he's contrasting the wickedness of my fallen nature with the Lord. And David, when he does this, what a beautiful thing he points out. Pointing out that here, though we're, the Bible says, though we were sinners, while we were yet sinners, it says Christ at the right time died for us, the just for the unjust. And here, David understood, Lord, you're the righteous one. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God, he said, and your judgments are like the great deep. Oh, Lord, you preserve man 
and beast, and how precious is your mercy, O God. How, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And David looked at God as his place of refuge, his safe place. Now, when you're the king and you've got everybody hunting you, trying to kill you, take away your kingdom, isn't it nice to have a place of refuge that is not of this world? I mean, he could run to God and know God was his place of refuge. David's like, men are wicked, but God, you're not. And men do wickedness. They think it even on their bed. But God, you have mercy that goes all the way to the heavens. Your faithfulness, it goes to the clouds. It, it never ends. God, isn't it nice to know God is merciful? You know, if I'm going to preach to you the way the Bible would preach this psalm, it would be, yeah, wicked men do wickedness. But God has got a lot more mercy than they have wickedness. Do you think he ran out of mercy for all of the... He went, I've only got so much mercy, so I'm going to just dole it out to the ones I like. I don't have enough for everyone, so I've got to give it out sparingly. Some preachers, I think, they think that God somehow has a limit on how much mercy he's going to run out. I mean, he's not going to run out. David knew this. And David, listen to this. David says in verse 8, he says, that they drink their fill of the abundance of your house. The one who is precious in God's sight gets to drink their fill in the abundance of the Lord. And you give them to drink of the river of your delights. He says, for with you, there is a fountain of life. And in your light, we see light. In other words, when your light, when we're in your light, that's when we really have eyes that can see. How many of you heard of that fountain of life? That whole idea is given to us by Jesus because Jesus told the woman at the well in Samaria. Remember that the Samaritan woman, he, he said to her, woman, let me have a drink. And she says, wait a minute, you're a Jew and you're talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. I'm not supposed to talk. And he said, woman, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd be asking me for a drink of living water that you would never thirst again. Remember what her response was? Oh, Lord, give me some of that water that I won't have to come here anymore. She didn't want to have to go to the well and draw the water all the time. But Jesus wasn't talking about physical thirst. What is he talking about? The spiritual thirst, that thirst inside of every person that says, ah, I know I'm not right. When it comes to sin, the Bible says well, all of us is sin. My problem was, what do I do about it? One thing to recognize you have the sin, but how do you solve the problem? What do you do about when you have the sin? And that's what this psalm is pointing out. We have a God who says, come to me. I'd like you to take refuge right here under my wing. I'd like to put my mercy, my covering over you. When you're not faithful, I'll be faithful. We need to teach people that even when they're not faithful, God stays faithful. He's always going to be there for them. Well, here, David now finishes this psalm. There's just a few verses left. He says, Oh, continue your mercy, your loving kindness to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come upon me and let not the hand of wickedness drive me away. And there the doers of iniquity have fallen. They have been thrust down and cannot rise. Verses 10 to 12 here of this psalm, Psalm 36 how beautiful they are. They say, God, 
you continue to show us mercy. Everyone who knows the Lord, everyone who's, who's upright in their heart, God, he says, God, give us your righteousness. Show us your righteousness. We need your right. We do need the righteousness of the Lord, don't we? And he says, the evildoer, they're going to fall. Their iniquity is going to make them fall. And they'll be thrust down. Sometimes I think we get too focused on the bad guys. Well, they're getting away with doing these bad things and nothing happens to them. And David says, you know what? Their sin is going to make them fall. He actually saw that. Now you have to live a few days before you write a psalm like this. You have to actually see some sinners fall down before you actually realize, wow, that guy, his sin. The Bible says your sin will find you out. You think you can hide it real well? Whatever you hide, it says, in the inner room will be shouted from the rooftops, it says. You, you think, nobody's going to know that I do this. You might not even realize that everybody's looking at you going, yeah, we see that. But I'm hiding it really well, aren't I? And you're like, no. You forget. You're surrounded with other sinners. We all have practice. We all came with sin. So when someone says, I don't sin. I'm too good to sin. Well, there's your first sin. You got pride. Second sin is you just lied. You're a prideful liar. It's easy to spot sin when you recognize you had. Maybe it's something you still have and God's working on freeing you from those things. David says something really profound. I think he must have known, he must have known a few years of life before he wrote this because he says, the sinner, they're going to fall. The guy's doing sin, he says, they're going to get thrust down. Sometimes we get people call me, Pastor, this bad person's getting away with this stuff and not, you know, what happened to the righteous God? How come he doesn't do anything? I said, you just didn't read to the end of the psalm. Go read Psalm 36 and get all the way to the end. Because verse 12 says, what will happen to them? In the end, if they don't want to turn, what will happen? What's the wages of sin? Death. If someone says, I'm not going to turn from my sin, I'm just like, all right, death is coming on a cart to you pretty soon. I mean, I'm old enough now, I realize I try to tell him, please repent. Because, you know, there's no guarantee how many days we get. But if the wicked says, I'm not going to repent, I'm not going to, David been around long enough to say, don't worry. At the end, what will happen? They'll fall. They'll fall down and they're, they're going to fall down and not recover. They're going to be thrust down. And he says they, they cannot rise. When the sinners doesn't want to turn to the Lord. By the way, does God make people follow him? Does he say, you must follow me. And you must be set free from those sins. Because you're really a jerk. And we need to fix that. I don't want to make you better. No. It's all, it's our free will. Do we want to follow him? But if you want to be freed from sin, you can go to him and say, God, free me. And he'll say, done. Let me take those shackles off. And I've seen people that have been addicted to heroin, LSD, some of the narcotics that people say are the harshest drugs to get free from. And they've cried out with just a heart to God. God, free me. Heal me. Anyone heard of a testimony where someone has just been delivered? Like instantly. They just, they don't go through withdrawals, no DTs, no nothing. They just snap. They're, they're healed. And God goes, let's go. And boy, the power that they, they know when you say, is God real? They're like, yes. 
He's really real. I was in this bad place and and I was in such darkness and Jesus just came and freed me and, and he brought me into this thing, what David describes, that light that the Lord brings. Isn't it nice when the Lord lights your path? We were singing, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's another psalm, by the way, 119. But way near the end, it says that God's word is a light unto our path. It's a lamp, a lamp unto our feet. It lights the way and shows us how to walk. You know, when Jesus came in the world, he said, I am the light of the world. Anybody wants to come out of darkness, just he said, just come to me. Come to me. It's, it's really nice when you get the light of the Lord in your life. It's so, oh, it's so illuminating. It's so nice because, I don't know about you, but have you ever been stumbling trying to find something in the dark? And you're looking for it, and you're looking for it. How many have a pair of these glasses? And you, you, you were using them, and somehow you set them down, and it was dark in the room, and then you're like, where is it? Where, where'd they go? And they could be right, they could be right on your lap. Or worse yet, this is the worst part. They're on your head. And you're looking all over. Where are they? Where you, you finally give up, you go to the bathroom. I can't find those rotten glasses anywhere. And you look in the mirror and you realize they're riding right up on top of your head. But without that light, we don't see. So then we don't see the things that are plain as day right in front of us. It's because we need the Lord to illuminate our hearts. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the big island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.